So this is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm your host, Josh Malden. I'm here today with Devin Singh, who's an associate professor of religion at Dartmouth and is a CTI member. And we're talking today, uh, Devin, about your recent book, Economy and Modern Christian Thought, published by Brill. And looking forward to talking to this about you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And you've been on before, so you're a repeat. That's uh, right. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Exactly. Um, so maybe speak a bit about the book and sort of the genre of the book. It's kind of a short book. It's a great way for someone to get into this topic who hasn't been before without having to delve into hundreds and hundreds of pages. So maybe talk about how the, the project arose and what the kind of goals and purposes of it are. So this appeared in the what's known as the Brill Research Perspectives series. So in many ways, the, the shape of this book reflects the, the purposes of this series, um, which are intended to be these uh, shorter introductions, overviews, snapshots of a particular aspect of theology and religious studies. Um, you know, Brill does these in a, for a variety of different fields, and this is in the theology series. And so I was approached by the editors of this series to, to write something about this, uh, the dialogue and conversation between theology and economics, broadly speaking. Um, so in many ways, it, in, in many ways, it was really challenging, actually, to think about how on earth can I encompass and think about this really broad, uh, long-standing field that's you know, one one could write tomes on this. Um, it's something that I've dedicated most of my scholarly career to, and so I have a lot to say and I, and I think a lot about. And so, in many ways, it was actually, you know, quite honestly, I had writer's block for a lot of the time initially about how on earth do I do I condense and. Uh, refine what I want to say about all these things and the things that have been written about for centuries into hundred hundred some pages. So uh, it was it was a challenge, and so what what emerged really was you know basically um, becoming comfortable with the fact that I couldn't actually say everything I wanted to say and to be selective about what I took to be a few points of uh, noteworthy interest in terms of what the the field was about. And what folks might consider in terms of their their explorations of it, um, and also some methodological questions, which I'm sure we'll talk about. You know, I, I thought it would be helpful to to frame for folks coming to this from the outside. You know, what were some of the methodological concerns? How has this conversation between theology or Christian thought and economy uh, been undertaken? Give a sense of the landscape, etc which then you know, might help for future scholars think about the kinds of cont contributions they might want to make given what's already been done. So it was really, it's kind of a, gra it's a short grab bag, a, gra a short mix of uh, trying to give a sense of the landscape, um, laying out what I take to be some important methodological considerations, and then providing some trajectory, what I call trajectories. These are some sites that I think are really interesting and important to think about at this juncture, at this at this meeting point between theology and economics. It's one of those things that it, it can actually be harder to write a shorter book than a longer book. Completely, completely. Right. It's like that saying, right? That if you, if you can't say something concisely or simply like, do you, you know, have you really mastered it? And similarly, the challenge, and often this is a challenge, you know, as an educator, when I, when I have students write short reviews or essays, it's, can you condense what you want to say to get to the point? And it's a really challenging exercise. I mean, in many ways, you know, many scholars, we would love to just sort of meander in our writing and just sort of dump everything on a page. And uh, but really, there's a there's a productive discipline in trying to be concise and efficient and refining what you want to say. 
do you consider yourself a theologian or more in the study of religion and maybe speak to how you see that distinction and how it's seen in the field more broadly? Yeah, it's a really interesting, you know, question and an interesting, I think, conversation between those fields. Uh, on most days, I don't identify as a theologian, um, although I'm happy to, and I am, I am often identified as a theologian. Um, and, you know, part of it really deals with how one defines what it means to be a, a theologian and do theology, etc. I think some of the the highlights and markers that I see as the distinction between distinctions between these fields, you know, theology is typically associated with somebody uh, constructing doctrine from a confessional standpoint. So something that emerges from the context of belief and, and most likely a church or ecclesial setting that articulates normative claims that draw on Christian doctrine and that often enjoin believers to a certain pattern of life. Uh, whereas religious studies engages in more descriptive modes of you know, analysis, looking at these communities, looking at these claims, looking at this kind of language, analyzing it, probing it theoretically, logically, etc., but not necessarily laying out um, normative claims based on doctrine or revelation. Religious studies certainly does in, you know, engage in theory and philosophy, which also does do normative claims. Um, so it's not, it's not that religious studies is only descriptive. I think there is normativity within religious studies and within other fields as well. I mean, this could, you know, there could, there's a big background conversation here about the myth of objectivity in general in, in a variety of fields. I think, you know, sometimes, um, certain fields want to present themselves as just being descriptive when in reality there is always claims and assumptions and prescriptions happening uh, under the surface. But again, broadly speaking, because I, I, in general, at least so far in my work, I don't come out strongly from a specific confessional perspective holding to key doctrines as ones that my audience needs to agree with and believe and then live out in some way. I, I don't resonate with that, the moniker of theologian. But again, and this is also, you know, this I'm speaking from a very sort of American-centered dynamic. And if you go to other contexts, sometimes in, in, in the continent, in Europe, uh, people use theology in different ways. And sometimes, you know, I, I find even European scholars will will speak, speak to me and identify, identify me as a theologian in a way that actually fits with how I understand religious studies, for instance. Um, so this is also culturally, context, and geographically specific in terms of some of the, the contestations and, and tensions that emerge in disciplines, right? In different, in different senses of what the academy, academy involves. Um, but I, I haven't written theology off. Um, I, I could certainly imagine myself at some point experimenting with new theological idioms and forms. Um, and I also like to think that theology can be a kind of social theory um, that theology doesn't necessarily need to just be about uh, doctrine or revelation, but certainly can be about and is about um, you know, how we understand the social world, how we understand institutions, how we understand power dynamics, all of that. And so one can do theology as a mode of social theory, I think, in ways that are really interesting and productive and are, have yet to be fully explored. What does that look like in the classroom at Dartmouth? Do your students show up? Uh, do you have students who are engaging in theological conversations, discussions, debates in your classes? Um, in the classroom, how does that look in your classes? 
In general, I'd say it, it's it's very much within a re- religious studies paradigm, as I've described it. So we we show up and engage in conversation in a way that is um, descriptive, observational, in some ways implicitly done from an outsider perspective. So there's no there's no assumption that the things that we read are things that people in the classroom hold to or believe or need to champion or defend, um, and. For, at least in the case of my students in my classes, I, I have yet to experience students who feel kind of this anxiety or need to sort of defend or contest a particular confessional perspective. Um, they are content to examine things as outside, you know, outsiders perhaps, or as insiders who are happy to look at things critically from an outside perspective. Um, there's no presumption of, of belief or uh, piety or religious devotion. Um, and so, you know, I'll bring sociological, anthropological, philosophical tools to to these things. But I do find it to be very productive and really quite fun, actually, to have students read theology. Um, so it's theology that's written by people who are openly espousing, you know, belief in belief in God, and in this case, in Christ, you know, if it's Christian theology, and assuming that their audience shares that belief. And so it's, it's, it's productive and to have this, these Kind of disorientation where students come to this and say, "What? How, what do I do with this?" I mean, these these people are writing to me as if I'm a Christian believer, and I'm not. Um, and we we persist in that and say, "Well, what? Let's let's analyze this. Let's read this. Let's, let's try to understand that one to sort of can you project yourself empathetically into the shoes of their implied audience? But two, what? Yeah, what are the critical? What are the criticisms you would bring to this? How does this fail to to bridge the gap? Um, what are its shortcomings?" And for the most part, I found students very receptive to to reading what, to, to, for many of them, is a very strange genre. I remember you saying you have a, a pretty popular course at Dartmouth on money, and I think money in theology. Maybe speak to that and what, what attracts the students to that topic. Yeah, so my the title of the class is God and Money, which is a great clickbait title, um, and I have students who come and will say, well, I'm interested in God and I'm interested in money. And so I guess I'll take this class. Dartmouth is known for being um, a a kind of a feeder school for for Wall Street and finance. Uh, There's a lot of econ majors here. Um, Obviously, we have students that are one percenters and we have a lot of students who are also just they have money on their mind in various ways. And so this was my way to try to at least get in front of some of those students before they go out into the world and to, to think about things like, religion and ethics uh, when it comes to, to to money and distribution and wealth, and to also think concretely about what money is, etc. So the class, as I've designed, designed it thus far, is, is kind of a mix of looking at some historical and sociological work on the origins and nature of money, trying to understand what it is as, a, as an artifact, as a technology, as a concept, uh, as well as religious reflection and thought about money, the dangers of money, the promises of money, uh, how how one might approach it, and then to think about things like um, the questions of happiness and the good life, and whether money is is necessary and how it how it figures or, f- or features in that. Um, most recently, in my most recent iteration, I also did a segment on cryptocurrency, since that's on people's minds as well. So trying to keep abreast of some of the developments in in the monetary world, but also to think about it from ethical uh, and religious standpoints. And so, yeah, it does, it does tend to be a, a class that generates a lot of interest. And we have 
um, really good conversations in there. Um, and again, it's it's a way for students to, and I have econ majors who are seniors graduating will take the class and say, wow, like I've gone through my entire major and never asked these questions about um, money's, money or money's impact on the human, on questions of meaning, questions of significance. Um, and also from a different perspective, one can be an econ major and never really understand what money is. Um, money is often assumed as a kind of function in economic equations, but the actual history and sociology around money is not something that um, is always explored. And so students get a lot out of that as well, just kind of grappling with the fact that we've had something like money for the last three to 4,000 years, you know, give or take a millennium there, but we still can't agree on what it is and how it functions. And that's in itself, I think, just intellectually very interesting. You're talking the, I mean, the title of the book is, uh, you use the word economy rather than the economy or economics or the market. And maybe you speak a bit in the first part of the book about why you choose that. So maybe speak to that, um, that point so we can kind of think more about what you're talking about here. I wanted to, to pick as kind of broad and capacious a term as I could. So in my mind, economy encompasses all those things that you just enumerated. So we can think about the economy more specifically or the market. We can think about economics as a discipline, but we can also, also think about things like exchange and exchanges more broadly. So economy for me is kind of a, a, an umbrella term. Um, that allows me to then in this in this text think about how Christian thought might interact with all these spheres. Um, so I didn't just want it to be a dialogue between the field or discipline of theology and the field or discipline of economics, like academically. I wanted it to, 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 to zoom out to think about the market, market dynamics, but also to think even more broadly about what does it mean to be in relations with one another where we're exchanging things of value. Uh, and engaging in forms of reciprocity, which have been construed in a lot of ways, gifts, debts, money, commodities. Um, and certainly within theology, the term economy has been used even more broadly to speak about the economy of salvation, right? The economy of the Trinity. Uh, it, this is a very, very broad term with a lot of different valences um, that I think are important to, to at least keep sight of, even if we certainly can't address them in depth uh, all the time. Um, but there's a lot happening with that term. And so I, I at least wanted to invoke that and signal that um, uh, as, a, as a starting point for the conversation. Backing up a bit, maybe speak a bit about your own uh, background and how you got interested in this intersection of theology and, and economy. Part of it was due to my upbringing. Um, so I grew up as a um, what's known as a foreign service brat. Um, so an international kid, uh, you know, my mother joined the foreign service when I was two or three, worked for the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, uh, an arm of the State Department. And we moved to Cameroon first when I was uh, about, about three years old and, and were there for four years and then moved on to Morocco for another three years. So a good seven years of my childhood and a lot of my elementary school years were spent in West and North Africa within the context of questions of international development, diplomacy, 
international relations, et cetera. I would certainly was exposed to and would accompany my mother on site visits to various development sites, uh, aid projects, um, and was often a fly on a wall uh, at dinner parties and, and uh, meetings. You know, my, my mom was a single working mom and often would bring me along to work, frankly. And so I would sit there as a kid doing my homework or drawing or whatever in a room while diplomats were, were having conversations about you know, IMF, World Bank, um, et cetera, right? And so some of this is percolating in the background, obviously much of it over my head. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as I went to uh, undergrad and was, was began to explore what was, what was of interest to me, I, I discovered that questions of wealth, poverty, revolution, uh, development, uh, globalization, capitalism, these are all things that I, I found myself really interested in and thinking through. And at the same time, was thinking through and working through my own belief system, my own um, experiences. Um, you know, growing up in a in an interreligious household and family, my my father is Sikh, and so my my dad's side of the family, mostly still in India, are are Sikhs, and my mother's side um, were mostly Episcopalian, some other forms of Protestant Christianity. My mother actually later in life had a born again evangelical experience as well. And so a variety of things in the water for me on that side as well, thinking about religion. And so college was a time to really sort through a lot of upheaval um, in terms of my worldview, as well as these issues of economy, inequity, um, culture, identity that I was sorting through. And so they kind of they kind of fused there. And that started this, this path that um, in many ways was not something that I um, I didn't predict that I was going to go on to become a scholar of religion or theology and, and engage these things, but that, that was the, the winding path that I followed beginning with an interest in those questions. Where do you see the, and, and at least one area where theology has, and in this case, it might be a more normative theology or a more descriptive one, but has uh, the most to contribute to how we think about the economy. And, and maybe as a way to kind of get into that question, do you ever come across sort of hardcore economists who are very sort of skeptical that religion or theology, you know, has much to say uh, in their work? And if you were to come across such a person, how would you respond? I mean, I'm, I'm chuckling here because do I ever come across them? I, that's the norm. The norm is that economists, economists would balk at the idea right. that theology and religion has anything to say. Um, and so it, it, and economics is, is known for being a, a fairly insular field that kind of prides itself. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of for various reasons that we won't re- rehearse here has, has emerged as a, as a field that has a lot of, uh, political and financial power within the academy and a, a lot of prestige within the, the academy, at least within the Anglo-American Context and so economics uh, prides itself on you know, it, perhaps it imagines itself as the new queen of the sciences. Um, so uh, in general, economists are not even open to sociologists or historians, let alone theologians and 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 scholars of religion. And you know, folks, some some listeners may be bristling at this. And obviously, I'm speaking in in broad generalizations and stereotypes. There are plenty of economists that are that are open to this as well. But I, I think it's a fair, um, at least, stereotype of of the field. Um, so, 
there are a variety of ways that one could approach the conversation. And what I try to do in this book is to talk about at least a couple sites of intervention. One is the historical site is to show how and, and open, a, open up a conversation about how theology was very much instrumental and in the worldview and in the water, so to speak, among these founding classical theorists of the discipline of economics. So looking at folks like Adam Smith and, and um, other thinkers in that circle, particularly around the Scottish Enlightenment, who um, contributed so much to um, what became, what emerged as the, initially was known as political economy and then what emerged as this, this field of economics. We're, we're thinking about theological questions, philosophical questions, wrestling with notions of providence, divine providence, uh, human sin or sinfulness, or the capacity for human perfection and happiness. Um, they were motivated by moral questions about allocations of wealth and resources and, um, you know, how states and nations might care for its citizens. They were concerned with uh, uh, what we might think of as moral questions about um, pride and domination and whether one should show one's wealth or not, um, whether one should be generous to the poor or not. Uh, these were all, all central kinds of questions. And even the, the language of self-interest that would eventually emerge and that we think of today when, we, when, people, when people talk about um, in sort of a shorthand way, the idea that greed is good and that people should be self-interested. I mean, those that came out of very vigorous moral debates that were informed by theology and religion about whether one could be self-interested or not, what, whether one should be, whether we should repress those urges or not, um, etc. So there's the historical side. And then you know, I've already kind of led into this, but the other side would be this kind of moral ethical side. Are there things that theology and religion has to offer that could be worthwhile when we consider how we actually enact and live out and implement the insights from economics. Um, and, you know, we, we certainly when we, when we read and encounter economists who might already have a, a personal faith or religious identity, they're often already engaged in these kinds of questions, but others as well who are interested in, uh, the common good, notions of kind of public public morality and the public sphere, et cetera, might be open to these kinds of questions as well. So they they these can be live questions at the policy level in terms of what you know what what kinds of moral goods are being um, pursued here. What are the ethical theories that we're using? Is it going to be something like utilitarianism, which often is the most common, given that it is a kind of an economic theory as well of, of cost benefit analysis, et cetera, or are there is there room for things like virtue? Is there room for uh, notions of care, right? other types of moral frameworks that we might use um, to implement? And theology and religious studies also challenges the sort of fundamental assumptions about human nature that are central to rational choice theory. The idea that that at least the the abstract assumption that humans are um, utility maximizing rational actors that will, will attempt to, to maximize benefits, minimize costs or minimize uh, pain and maximize pleasure. And that we're always making these kind of binary decisions, right? Um, and uh, economists will push back and say that often in practice that that's not the assumption, but at least abstractly at the base, base of min, many forms of modeling and economic assumptions is this abstract assumption that humans are all kind of homo economicus, that we are all seeking to, 
to gain advantage economically and that we all by nature uh, engage in forms of barter and commodity commodity exchange, etc. So there's a lot of assumptions there that kind of masquerade as simple truth or as objective common sense within economics that theology might also call in, call into question. <clears throat> That's all fascinating. Uh, I want to also, as a final question, just get you to speak about a bit about what you're working on now and what you're going to be working on uh, in the future. One of the so, so I'm I'm my the main thing right now is finishing up a book on debt that has that I've been working on for a number of years now, um, and I certainly explore debt very briefly in this book, and not that much because frankly I'm saving it for this 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 book that I'm trying to finish now. So um, I'm interested in the ways that debt is used in in religious thought and language to connote notions of guilt and obligation whether to God or whether to one another, um, how religious language, and in this case, primarily Christian theology, uses notions of debt to think about you know, God's, God's sacrifice on the cross through Christ, Christians' obligations toward, toward God in response, whether humans were in debt to death, the devil, sin, and was that debt canceled in some way or paid back or credited in some way, there's, there's a, a lot of debt language at use, and there are then social and political implications and kind of downstream effects from that usage that I'm also interested in exploring. And so I'm, I want to look at how uh, debt has played a significant role in the Christian imagination and how that has in turn influenced uh, cultures in the West that have been shaped by these, these Christian concerns. So that's the, the big project I'm currently working on. I'm also beginning to, to look at another project, which is taking a different route, uh, less centrally about economics, but I've been playing with a, uh, an idea for a while now that uh, looks actually, and this, this will be more theological, looking at the doctrine of the ascension of Christ. So then this notion that Christ ascended into heaven and was taken, taken up from earth in front of the disciples um, as a, a doctrine that in some ways doesn't get a lot of attention, but I, I want to say is actually extremely significant because it, it sort of marks the whole experience of the church. The church is a, is a community that lives with an absent, absent Lord and absent sovereign in some ways. Um, and so I want to explore the ascension and this notion of the ascension as a way to, as a kind of coping mechanism for the loss and abandonment that the church experiences um, with the absence of Christ and what are the, the, what are the effects of that? There's a kind of trauma there. There's a repression and denial of that. There's a way of trying to turn that loss into a kind of victory. Um, and, you know, how does that sublimation and transformation then show up in, in intended and unintended consequences down the road? So there's kind of a political theology of the ascension that I'm interested in exploring in terms of how this influences notions of Christian empire um, uh, relation, political relations in Christendom, as well as potentially notions of, of colonization and uh, encounter in the new world as well. Sounds fascinating. So your recent book, uh, Economy and Modern Christian Thought, Devin, uh, was great to read it and hope other people will read it as well. And thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. Me too.